This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime at our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. to give you this. Wow, Cat. Uh, really? Are, are you sure? I, I mean, you know that whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? Oh, I know, Jesus, but your decisions are perfect. So giving you this is my last decision. Wow, um, I, I'm honored. This, this is great. Oh my goodness, look what came in the mail today, Cat. I got a new credit card. We must go shopping. Oh, well, I thought you and your husband were trying to get debt free. Well, you know, things are kind of tight, but, you know, it's empty. I need stuff. Come on, come on, Kat. Come uh, my shopping, buddy. No. No? No. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I have to check my schedule, and I'll get back to you. All right, give me a call. <clears throat> call me. Bye. Call me. Um, uh, what's going on here, Kat? Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm kind of half-cheeking it here, and um, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. You want me to sit here, right? Oh, of course. Okay, and whoever sits here makes all of the decisions, right? Right. So what's the problem? There's no problem, Jesus. I, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. It is. It is your seat. Okay, j- j- just as long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, um, well, let, let's just start over, all right? Okay, thanks. You know, Kat, uh, I've been noticing that uh, you've been losing your temper a lot recently. Oh, okay, and, uh, okay, oh, Jesus. Oh. I, I know exactly what you're referring to uh-huh. here, um, but I don't think you fully understand look, look, the situation. Okay, uh, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision, and since it's a decision... Right, right, but I'm going through a lot lately. Sure, and you're under a lot of pressure. Oh, I get pressure. that. You don't understand pressure. Okay, okay this, this isn't working, Kat. What do you mean? Only one of us can sit in the chair. It's either you or it's me. Uh, I, I know. It's you. I just didn't think it would be this hard. I'm not going to take it from you, Kat. You have to give it to me. Uh, I know. So make a choice. I can't. You just did. We were talking about surrender, and I'd like to continue along that line uh, today. Uh, tired of struggling with my strong-willed three-year-old son, Thomas. There's a lady telling about this. I looked him in the eye and I asked a question. I felt sure it would bring him in line, you know. Um, Thomas, who is in charge here? And she fully expected him to say, you mama, you know. But not missing a beat, our Sunday school born and bred toddler replied, Jesus is in charge, you know. And um, he, he was right. Jesus is in charge, but he was acting like he was in charge, you know. And my mama was hoping that he would recognize that she was in charge. But anyhow, he made that statement. Well, Jesus is in charge, mama, you know. So let me just read you a passage here in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. 
It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority. Now, what percentage would complete be? 100%. Jesus said, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. I mean, that's just like everywhere, you know. And as you study the Bible out, you find out that Jesus has passed that authority, you know, that power over to us. And then he's told us, being over us, he says, now you go and, and, and be a light in the darkness. You go and share the good news, you know. You go and, and represent me all over the planet and things like this, you see. But uh, he is an absolute complete authority. So the, the kid was right. Jesus is in charge here. And as we're talking about this word surrender, uh, you, you might remember before we left, I uh, had this here. And you remember what that represents? Surrender, you know. I surrender. So I'll just leave that right there for the moment. And let me read another passage to you in James chapter 4, verse 7. In the Amplified Bible, it says, So submit to the authority of God. The word submit there is saying, So surrender to the authority of God. Resist, then he goes on to say, Resist the devil. This is talking about a counter attack to oppose the devil, to fight him. As you read in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. Our loins are girded about with truth. We got on those, you know, fighting boots and all. We've got the armor of God. So God fully intended us to be in warfare, to be on the battleground on a spiritual note. But he says here, so submit to the authority of God and resist the devil and stand firm against him and he will flee from you. And if you'll dig down deep enough, you'll discover the, the devil would flee from you in terror. But see, the only reason the devil will flee to you, flee from you, is because you surrender yourself to God first. And once you surrender yourself to God, his power and his authority flow into you and, and he is a vital part of your life and the enemy of our soul, the devil, when you resist him, he's going like, nobody can resist me except Jesus. Ah, and he flees away. So it's key, if you're trying to resist the devil in your own human strength, can't be done. You're going to fall for every trick the devil has, to be honest with you. And it says here in James 4, 7, so submit or surrender to the authority of God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him and he will flee from you. You cannot resist in your own human strength. But he goes on to say in verse 8, come close to God. Hmm. And I think that's the, the cry of many of our hearts is like, I want to get closer and closer and closer to God, you know, in our relationship. Come close to God with a con trite heart. That's talking about remorseful, re repentant because of the things we've, we've done. Well, we're really sorry for the things that we've done and we've missed the mark and we've disobeyed God, you know. 
uh, and, and we really want to change our direction. But he says in verse 8, come close to God with a contrite heart and he will come close to you. You take a step in his direction and he's going to take several steps in your direction. And then he goes on to say, wash your hands, you sinners. Now the book of Ephesians, it tells us the washing of the water of the word. God's word is like water and it washes us and it cleanses us. That's what it says in Ephesians. I think it's chapter five, the washing of the water of the word. But he says here, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your unfaithful hearts. In the areas where you've been unfaithful to God, as 1 John 1, 9, he tells us to confess our sins, not to a human being, but it says confess our sins to him. Confess our sins to him. You know, not trying to hide them, but say, hey, I've been unfaithful in this area of my life, Lord. And, and we confess our sins to him. And the Bible says he is faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness, every wickedness. And that's 100%. He'll cleanse us of all of it. So when he's telling us to wash our hands, you know, when he addresses us as a sinner and he says, and purify your unfaithful hearts, and he says, you double-minded people, you know, purify our hearts. And that's by confessing our, our sins. Because sometimes people are going, yeah, yeah, no, no. You know, and, and I think we've had a great object lesson of that this morning already. There was this young lady up here who was surrendering everything to Jesus. And then it's just like, no, I, I want to go shopping, you know, or I want to do this. Or, oh, yes, yes. But no, and there's this ongoing battle you see that goes on within us so he says here come close to God with a contrite heart and he'll come close to you wash your hands you sinners and purify your unfaithful hearts you double minded people you know respectful and then disrespectful and yes and then no and back and forward and, and we're double minded and he says in verse 9 be miserable and grieve and weep over your, your sin, over your disobedience to God, it, we should be miserable about disobeying God. We, we should want to do what he created us to do, you know. And uh, it says, let your foolish laughter be turned to mourning and your reckless joy to gloom. Hmm. And then he says in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves. And this is really talking about respectfully to, to be on your before him. It says, humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance, which means changing your direction and going his direction. He says, humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance. Hmm. My will is unimportant. In comparison to his, he created us and he's got a purpose. He has a purpose for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this building and those who are watching online, wherever you, he has a purpose. But sometimes we just ask God to bless our plans instead of discovering, well, what did you create me for? Why am I here? What's the plan you have for my life? You know, because it will always, always, always be the best. So it says, humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance. 
in the presence of the Lord. And he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you. What's that word? Purpose. And so many times when I talk to people, that's what they don't have. It's like, I'm just looking for purpose. Not just to do something. I'm looking for purpose. For my life, I mean, to have genuine purpose. Now, we were not saved so that we could be polished, decorative knickknacks, you know, just sitting on God's shelf, filling space in heaven, you know, for eternity. Uh, no, we were born with special talents and um, abilities, and we've been saved by God's grace. And the most appropriate response to this amazing gift is to make ourselves completely available for him, thus fulfilling his calling, making ourselves completely available to him. In light of these things, what then should we do? Perhaps you feel a desire to respond by offering your life as a rocket booster, you know, to propel God's kingdom forward. But you're not sure where to begin. Now, you remember the Apostle Paul, who later become really a great leader in the church. He was known as Saul, the change to Paul, Apostle Paul. There was a transformation uh, taking place, you know, on the road to Damascus there. And this was uh, Paul's question found in uh, Acts chapter 9. Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Simple question. That was what the Apostle Paul asked Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And hey, here's the chair, you know. What do you want me to do? Simple question, you know. Should I go on a mission field? Should I go to medical school? Uh, Should I become a construction worker or a businessman or work as a chef or, or, or a pastor? You know, discovering God's will for your life is not a matter of determining what you want, but it's a matter of determining what God wants. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes our will and his will, there's a a conflict there. It's a spiritual quest, to be honest with you. It's very significant as we're considering this, and it's very important to let the Holy Spirit lead us when we're trying to determine God's purpose for our life. So I want uh, to invite you to join me in a prayer that is a very safe prayer to pray. For me, it is. And I would ask you, based upon what we just now said right here, maybe it's a prayer that you would like to be a part of where you really are giving God the chair. Uh, Do we have that prayer? So if, if you would like to join me, you can read it, but let it come from your heart and maybe join me as we pray this together. It's just a short prayer. Heavenly Father, I present my life to you today as a living sacrifice. Because you gave your son Jesus For me, I give myself fully to you.
This is my reasonable service. I lay my dreams and desires at your feet and ask that your will be done in my life. Use my mortal hands to build your eternal kingdom. Use my life to propel your purpose forward with conviction as I take hold of it with passion in Jesus' name. Amen. That right there is pretty much surrendering and recognizing why we were created and what God's word is telling us. No matter what we do, our heart and our willingness to serve and and surrender totally, completely to him, that's where our fulfillment, that's where we are truly satisfied, you know, on the inside. Now, the word surrender, it basically means to give up. I surrender. It basically means to give up. It means submission. Isn't that a word that people really love? Submission and submit. It's like, I don't know if I really like that word or not. Well, where we give up and we're, we're submitted and we, we yield, you know, ourselves to the power and the authority of God. It means to obey him to submit to him, and we yield it all to him. Praying God's word, and and we do that, we've learned how to do that for the most part, is is surrender to the will of God. When we pray his word, we're surrendering to the will of God, cooperating with his will. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a boat hook, but a lot of folks have got these ropes on, and it's like a little grappling hook if you're having some engine problems or something's going on and this long rope is designed for this purpose can be thrown toward the shore, hooked on something and you pull yourself to shore versus getting washed out to sea. So can you imagine that for a moment? So when you take that grappling hook and let's just say you're using about 50, 70 foot of, of a light cord strong enough to pull your boat, then you throw it ashore and you hook the shore. Do you pull the shore to you? <laughs> no. Or do you pull you to the shore? Think about it. Are we trying to pull God to us? Lord, bless what I'm doing here. Or are we pulling ourselves, Lord, I just want to do whatever it is you want me to do. That's where I'm satisfied and I'm fulfilled. I'll reach my full potential when I'm doing that. I know my life is really making a difference and it's, it's really counting for something, you know, and, and I'm aligning myself and my will with, with your will, you know. Anyhow, Romans chapter 6, verse 13 says, Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely. completely. Now, what percentage was, would that be? 100. Give yourselves completely. to God. Give yourselves completely to God. That's talking about surrender here. Since you have been given new life and and use your whole, 100% of your body, and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Hmm. Uh, to, To honor God. This one says here in John 14, 15, it says, and Jesus is talking He says, if you 
love me, obey my commandments. Because see, talk is cheap. If Jesus says, if, it's a conditional word here. If you love me, obey my commandments. See, a, a, a surrendered life, a surrendered life, a really genuinely surrendered life loves God. A surrendered life. It's not just, well, I'm going to do this so I can go shopping or I'm going to do this so I can do that. A surrendered life genuinely loves God. The word obey, it means to simply to comply with. Simply to comply with, to follow. To follow instructions, to follow guidelines, to follow commands. Um, you know, take heed to the restrictions and, and follow not just commands, but what God wishes of me, you know. That's what I want to do if I was going to obey him. And Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, follow God's example in everything. What are all these words are in the Bible like that? What percentage is everything? I think he wants us to understand this. Follow God's example in everything. Follow his example. Surrender to everything, he says here, that you do because you are his dear children. Live a life that's filled, filled, not just three quarters, not just 95%, but it says 100%. Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ. Are you following the example of Christ on a day-by-day basis? Are you following his example, surrendering to him, or you got the chair, Lord? You, you, you make all the calls, you know. It says in verse 2, Ephesians 5, 2, live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ, who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. And God was pleased. God was pleased with such a sacrifice because that sacrifice was like sweet perfume to him. The sacrifice that, that Jesus made for us, please, Father God. And when you and I, we, we, we make a sacrifice, you know, you get slapped in the cheek, what do you do? Excuse me? Well, that's what the Bible says. But what do you really do? You know? No. You're right to turn the other cheek. You know, when I was a kid, as a teenager, that's the first I'd ever heard of WWJD. What would Jesus do? And it was based upon a book that I read, a phenomenal book. And if you ever get a chance to read In His Steps, it was the number one book of my life when I was young. You know, In His Steps. And you ask yourself, well, what would Jesus do? And then you do it regardless of the consequences. And that's where you find fulfillment and satisfaction genuinely in your life. Martin Luther, he said this. I think I read this uh, to you, this little paragraph uh, a couple weeks ago. It says, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. When I put something in God's hands, I still have it. But when I've held it in my hands, it's like mine. Mine, 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 mine. I end up losing it all. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, And so, dear Christian friends, I plead with you to give your 
bodies to God. Surrender your bodies to God. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. Not unholy, but let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. Die to sin and and die to selfishness to live for God. You died for me so I can live for you. That's, That's what the whole thing is about. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 20, I believe it is, it says, I am crucified. That means I've died. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ who's living in me and through me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified. I've died to my own sinful self. And I want to find God's purpose, and I want to live completely, totally for his purpose. That's what the scriptures is telling us right here. And he goes on to say, let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is that too much to ask? I don't think so. He died for us. He gave his life for us. The Bible says he went to hell for three days for us so we can be forgiven. And so we would live in heaven forever and we can pass on that good news to other people. Their sins can be forgiven and they can live in heaven as well. Now, when I was a teenager, I had met Susan. We had met at a Bible study and all. And as time progressed, and I was very interested in Susan and uh, I asked her to marry me. And the week I asked her to marry me, unknown to one of us, they moved 200 miles away. It's like, so if you were just going by circumstances, that wouldn't have been a good circumstance, you know. Her dad was a trucker, and he just packed up the whole house in a truck, and they moved to Virginia and all. So if I was in the midst of trying to serve God as best as I knew how, and so for a couple of years, I was hitchhiking across the, the nation, you know, sharing the gospel as best as I understood it. And I would occasionally go through Virginia, and when I'd go through there, I'd catch a ride, and I'd just be let out in the middle of nowhere. All in the interstate, I'd climb over the guardrail, climb down the bank, go up this little mountain, go down the other side of the mountain, wait through the stream, and walk up in their backyard and knock on the door, you know. And I got to know her family a lot better that way. But one day, there was a little bit of conflict going on with a couple of members of her family, And it was stressful if you hear people kind of arguing and going at each other. And I just grabbed my guitar at the time, and I went in another room. It was an upstairs room. And I sat down there with my guitar, and I wrote a song. It was real complicated, so I don't know if you can follow it or not. I don't know if I told you all this or not before. But this is the way the song goes. It goes, I surrender all of me to you, Lord. I surrender all of me to you. I surrender all of me to you, Lord. I surrender all of me to you. Pretty complicated, isn't it? (laughs) You know, and I think this is a a real big to-do in my own personal life. You know, I I remember that. We've been married for 44 years. And that was probably two, three years before that, you know. 
So that was a long time ago, and I still remember word for word the song, you know. <laughs> but I think it really made a change in my life. When I, I was sincere, the conflict was going on amongst a couple of folks in the household there, and all I could think of, I surrender all that I am to you. And I'll tell you what, I have found the fulfillment. Not what somebody else wants from me, but what I want from me. I just want to know Jesus and to love him and to get better acquainted with him day by day and to let other people know the, this wonderful, fantastic good news that sets them free from every chain that binds them. And, and so they can experience all that God has created them for. And then Susan and I had learned this principle uh, at a conference we had gone to really many, many, many years ago, and all we had was, uh, children-wise, we had Judah, who was our oldest son. And, you know, we had learned this thing about yielding, which means surrendering your rights to God. Because there's a lot of promises here that I have rights to. Well, God says this, and I claim lots of the, these rights and these privileges, and it's okay to do that. But I found something that was even better than claiming all the rights and the privileges of God for my own life. And I'd always told Susan, since before we were married, I think, that I wanted a dozen kids. Is that right? I wanted a dozen kids, you know. So, uh, and she still married me, even after that, you know. And uh, uh, we had had, you know, uh, Judah, and then we had a, a stillborn child, you know, his name's Andrew James. And uh, we, we had a, a miscarriage, and uh, through our life, we've had a couple, of, two or three miscarriages and things like that. And just kind of like, well, Lord, we're not having any more kids. You know, at this time, Judah was probably, what, 13, 14 years old, something around there. And said, like, well, maybe it's just that God wanted us to have a passion for kids, so we'd do things like Vacation Bible Adventure. And we would love and mentor and care about other people's kids, you know, who are really his kids and all. And then we were in my study over in the parsonage. That's where we used to live. And we were in my study, and we got down on our knees together. This is in broad daylight, and we were praying, and we said, Lord, we surrender. Having any more children to you, we surrender that to you because we, we just ask that your will would be done in us. We're not trying to pull you in to do what we want. We want to pull ourselves into you and do what you created us for because that's where we're really satisfied and fulfilled. And, and it was most probably that night, uh, Benjamin was probably conceived that night, you know. And it had looked like we weren't going to have no more children. And then he was born right around that nine months later. And then Miracle was born, you know, uh, there's exactly two years and a couple of days between Benjamin, who's a Marine now, and Miracle. And, and you know Miracle, she's over at Super Church. She's in the hospital this very moment giving birth to, to Dakota, her son, you know. And Kyle's there and assisting all that. And then two years and a week or so later, James was born. So we had three children added to our family that's here on the earth. And then there was another one that was added to heaven that we'll get to meet one day because we surrendered our rights and said, Lord, we just want what you want. And I've discovered that when we yield our rights, well, we can demand our rights or when we yield even a right that God's given us, 
when we yield to God, God will give us the absolute perfect and best. He genuinely will. When we was willing to turn loose of it, we received it. It's kind of amazing how God does stuff like that. But listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Hmm. Our world is pretty self-centered, don't you think? For the most part. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let him transform, bring about this awesome change into you. To change you into a new person. Would you let God bring about a transformation where the chains are broken in your life and the, the, the game has changed? Things are more satisfying and fulfilling. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This book right here, it, it does change the way you think, doesn't it? Boy, it's transformed my thinking. I think a whole lot more like Christ now. But, you know, God's word, it really changes things in our life. And isn't this amazing what God has put in his word? Must have got the wrong book. <laughs> but if you have faith and you believe God and you, you trust God, he has got things for you that other people just don't see or people don't understand. If you'll go to his book, it will change your thinking and it'll change what you see, to be honest with you. I don't know if you saw anything or not, but he tells us that we need to let him transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, what we think about when we are free to think about anything, that's what we really are or will soon become. When nobody else knows what you're thinking, that's what you really are or will soon become. And as we spend time with him, our stinking thinking changes and becomes more and more along the lines that he's created us to think. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says, those who are dominated, that word dominated means ruled, those who are ruled by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Are we thinking about sinful things all day long? Are we thinking about things that Please, the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to say. That's what we want to take place, you know. And God can work best through a totally surrendered, you know, love-filled life. When you're totally surrendered to him, boy, he can work in and through your life because there's not a constant battle going on. Listen to what he says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For God knew his people. He knew you 
before you were born. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son, Jesus. Now, if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty of what's God's design for you and his purpose, let me read it one more time. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them. He chose you, every one of us here, and he chose you, he chose them to become like his son. He chose us to be like Jesus. Well, what would Jesus do? And then do it, regardless of consequences. He said, well, that's, that's kind of risky, isn't it? Not when you know God. God is for you more than you could possibly ever imagine. God is never wanting just to, oh, let's just make your life miserable. I'm just going to hurt you. He's wanting us to become, you know, the way he created us to be, to become like his son Jesus. Couldn't get no better than Jesus, could you? I think that was just about perfect. But that's what he wants for you and for me, you know. In Ezekiel 36, 27, it says, and I will put my spirit in you so you will obey. And, and the Holy Spirit enables us. He brings us back to our mind, God's word and all. And I will put my spirit in you so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. <laughs> wow. And, and the, the greatness of a, of a man or a woman is the measure of his or her surrenderedness to almighty God. Now, you've seen a water wheel in a, in a river, or, or maybe you can picture these turbines that are, rivers have been dammed up, and they've got these turbines in there. It's, a, it's a, like a water wheel. And the, the water goes through there, and it generates all this wonderful power. And, all, and that's like the Holy Spirit in our life. When that living water, the, the Holy Spirit flows through our life, and we don't block it up and and resist that. Well, the scripture says here in Ephesians 3.16, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his spirit. See, the resources that God has, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but they're unlimited. And this water flowing to these hydroelectric dams and down this river and it's been dammed up and all this water has unlimited power to generate electricity for cities, you know. And God has more power than even that. And he says here, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Mm. We need inner strength. We need it on the inside to obey him, to be an obedient disciple, that his strength and power can flow through us and create what he's, do what he's created us to do. Anyhow, he says in verse 17, and I pray that Christ will become more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. And may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Romans 8, verse 2 says, for the power of the life-giving spirit, that Holy Spirit, has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. 
2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom from the chains that bind you. He gives us freedom to, to, to become everything He's created us to be. So, through this, it's just complete surrender. I surrender. It's, it's all about you. You know, I'm no longer trying to pull you over here to me so you can bless what I'm imagining. I'm pulling myself over to you, and I want to do what you have in mind, what you created for me. Now, I shared this story not too terribly long ago, and I was going through some things, and I said, you know what? This makes sense, and I want to share it with you again. An American soldier in the Vietnam War was about to step on an anti-personnel landmine that was hidden from his sight. And his comrade across the battlefield could see the impending disaster from his vantage point. So he stood up from behind his protective barricade and he shouted, which turned out to be a life-saving warning to his friend. And his friend didn't step on the mine. But at that moment where the brave man had stood up, he received a gunshot wound that ended his life. A couple years later, at an honorary memorial service in the United States, the soldier whose life had been saved from the landmine had a chance to meet the wife and son of his deceased friend. The son was only seven years old and had never gotten a chance to really know his dad. And the father of the soldier could tell that this boy's heart was severely broken. So he knelt down next to him and he put his hand on the child's shoulder. So I want you to know that your father saved my life. And this seven-year-old little boy, he looked up at him with tears streaming down his cheeks. And he said, sir... Four words. Were you worth it? How could a seven-year-old boy come up with such a profound question? Were you worth my dad giving his life for? Were you worth it? So let me ask you now. What you're doing with your life right now is it worth Jesus giving his life for you? Are you doing something that is noble, like trying to become like him and live an honorable and a noble life, a life that helps other people? Are you living a life? What was it worth Jesus dying for you? See, if we didn't just happen on the scenes, like, well, I just happened here one day and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. It's like God's got a purpose and a plan for all of us. And he wants us to be like his son Jesus. That's what he tells us very clearly in his word. Listen to what it says in Psalms 143 verse 10. Teach me to do your will. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. May your gracious spirit lead me. That's what he's saying. 
onward and, and upward and, and surrendering more and more and more every day of our life. John chapter 5, verse 30, this is what Jesus did in regards to his own father. And Jesus says, my father is greater than I. And Jesus said here in John 5, 30, but I do nothing without consulting the father. It's not like we got in negotiation. Well, I'll tell you, if you let me do this, well, I'll do that then. And if you'll let me become one of these and do this, that, and another, well, I'll do that. There was no negotiations here whatsoever with Jesus and his father, God. Jesus said in John 5.30, but I do nothing without consulting the father. I judge as I am told. And my judgment is absolutely just because it is according to the will of God who sent me. It is not merely my own. Do, do we just want merely my will, what pleases me, what makes me happy? But it only lasts for a short period of time and then we're not happy with that anymore, you know. But are we doing what God created us to do? Are, are we willing to take a risk? And I surrender all of me to you, Lord. I'm pulling myself over. And I'm going to surrender my all to what you want. Not trying to get you to bless what I want, you know. Bobby Richardson, former New York Yankee second baseman. He once prayed a powerful prayer. And this is a prayer worth memorizing. It really is. Very powerful prayer. He said, dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. That was it. Well, we should read that again. Maybe we can memorize it right now. Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less. Anybody remember what the last part is? Nothing else. But there's so much out there competing for our time, isn't it? It is. Uh, I just want your will, your will. Think about that. You know, our time is, can't cover all these things here, but let me read you the words of a song we used to sing here years ago. <clears throat> it goes like this. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through, use it for your glory lord i offer my days to you lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice lord i offer you my life hmm. things in the past things yet unseen wishes and dreams that are yet to come true all of my hopes and all of my plans, my heart and my hands, they're lifted to you. I mean, I mean, surrender. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through, good, the bad, the other, use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through. Oh, man, can you imagine? Lord, I offer all my days to you. Lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I just offer my life. 
That was the way the song went. It's just all about surrender. But that's where a man or a woman, boys and girls, they find their fulfillment when you're, you're becoming what God created you for. And it can be expressed in a lot of different ways as you're becoming more and more like Jesus. It says in Psalms 32, verse 8, it says, The Lord says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the pathway for your life. Does that make the sentence different? I think you're right. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Think about this. When you and I surrender to him, he says he's going to guide us along the best pathway for our life. He's going to advise us. He goes on to say, I will advise you and I'll watch over you. See, a surrender life will discover the best pathway. A surrender life will discover the best pathway, not just a pathway of life, but it will discover the best pathway of life. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham, God spoke to him <clears throat> to go into another land. And the scripture says that Abraham, he left his father and all of his friends and family to go into a land that God would show him. Abraham did not know the best path, but he knew the guide. He knew God. And see, if you know God, he will lead you and guide you, as he says here, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, and I will advise you, and I'll, I'll watch over you. Verse 9, do not be like a senseless horse or mule. Some people call that mule a jackass, but I'm not going to use that term in church, you know. Oh, I might have said it. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit or a bridle to keep it under control. The captain of the ship, he looked into the dark night and he saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course. 10 degrees south. Promptly a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman. Third class, Jones. <laughs> Immediately the captain sent a third message knowing the fear it would invoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Think lighthouse trumps battleship. You know that, right? In the midst of our dark and foggy times, all sorts of voices are shouting orders into the night telling us what we should do. You know, adjust and do this and Go that way and this way and that way, you know. But the voice that really grabs my attention 
is the voice of the light of the world. He's a lighthouse. The light of the world. The creator of the planet. His name is Jesus. And I'll tell you, you can trust his advice. And God will lead us and guide us on the best pathway. And sometimes we think we know better and we have the authority and we trump everybody else, you know. But no, we need to submit ourselves. We need to surrender ourselves to Almighty God. Well, I'll close with this. You know, often God's will is not going to really be revealed to us until we say yes. God's talking to us. Well, God, tell me exactly what it is you want me to do, and then I'll decide if I'm going to do it or not. You probably will never know what it is that God wants you to do. It's when we kind of sign the check and give it to him and say, just fill it in however you want to do so. You know, that's when it happens. By the name of George Mueller, a man that I greatly respect, a phenomenal believer in, in, you look it up in history, George Mueller. He said, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regards to a given matter. 90% of the trouble with people is just here. 90% of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. Hmm. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is for you. It's like, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want for me, I'm just pull myself in over there, whatever you want for me, that's what I want. And then we discover the best pathway for our life. Oh, there are some pathways and they're okay, but it's not the best. But when you really surrender to him, he will give you the best. And just continue. This surrendering thing is an ongoing process. Well, I know our time has about uh, gotten away from us here, but I challenge you to often, daily, in the morning when you start off or in the evening, just surrender yourself to him, him who created you, he who loves you, he who will guide you in the best pathway for your life. You can trust him. So I'd like us to bow our heads if we could, and I'd like you just to surrender your life to Christ. Again, you've probably done this many times before, but there are some people who may be here who would like to surrender theirs or watching us online. It's a great opportunity for us to reaffirm our faith. And so we bow our heads and let me lead us in a prayer. And my wife, Susan, if you would join me up here. You're not sleeping, are you? Okay, just checking. I'll hold you up, okay? All right. Let's just reaffirm our faith or declare our faith in him today. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. And you know everything about me. And you know everything about me. And you have a great purpose for my life. And you have a great purpose for my life. I believe you sent Jesus. I believe you sent Jesus. And I believe he died in my place. I believe he died in my place. To wash all my sins away. 
And I believe that he rose from the dead and is knocking at the door of my heart. I open wide that door and I welcome Jesus into every area of my life as my Savior, as my Lord, as my soon coming King, as my soon coming King, and as my friend. And as my friend. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.